Welcome to With Them Sounding Board, a podcast sharing powerful business tips, insights, and trends for those seeking to become a rock star in their industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of our podcast series as we continue to talk about uh, healthcare M&A and physician practices and the issues surrounding those deals. Uh, today, we're going to dive a little bit more into more of the operations and compliance matters, but uh, welcome back. Again, this is Steve Brady, partner with Witham and market leader of our transaction advisory practice. And Sydney Welch with Bradley Arant Bolton Cummings based out of Atlanta. And like Steve, I have a national practice in the world of healthcare, um, representing physicians, high-end physician specialty practices and healthcare technology companies. Steve, you want to take the lead in keying off our conversation for today? Yeah, please do. So yeah, let's start by discussing uh, for physician practices some of the operations areas that play an important role in val- valuing a deal. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into a couple of these as we move along. But, you know, Sydney, certainly I think as you look at the operations of a physician practice, you know, what jumps to the top of mind for me is, you know, looking at the cash collections and revenue cycle and understanding as a buyer or if as a seller, if you're preparing the practice for sale, you know, what that cycle is and, and how it operates. Uh, again, certainly looking at things like collection rates and waterfalls and, and understanding how the coding works. But again, we'll dive a little bit more into that topic um, in, a, in a few minutes, but also, you know, an important operational area is the reimbursement rate trends and understanding, you know, what's going on at uh, a base level at uh, with the codes and if there's any uh, trends happening both from external forces or usually external forces, but, you know, certainly could be uh, trends in terms of how the practice is operating and, you know, whether they're changing or more focused on certain procedures or drugs uh, also being a part of many specialty practices and, and if they're migrating, how they practice and what impact that'll have on the financial performance of the practice going forward. And I think, again, at a high level, one of the important things, uh, mentioning the drug aspects of many specialty practices is understanding the margins on the pharmaceuticals, how they manage uh, their inventory, their purchasing, and understanding uh, things like, you know, where are they relative to WAC or weighted average cost uh, on their acquiring of the drugs, and, you know, is that margin increasing or decreasing? Again, kind of hand-in-hand with how the practice is operating and, and the impact on the financial performance. And that money and profitability, Steve, is always key to, you know, any component to these types of transactions. And I think sometimes a secret uh, legal sauce behind some of that, it has a little bit of a, a dirty word connotation to it, though. But it's really critically important is the compliance function or piece to that. 
Um, and we prefer to think of it as operating to the maximum potential financially for the practice. And in order to get there, in order to make sure that the numbers are really good and valid for the revenue perspective and that the reimbursement rate is matching up to what the reality is, the compliance is, of course, a key component to that because a practice may show inflated revenues um, or they may show deflated revenues depending on how their compliance is actually working. Meaning if you're upcoding unintentionally for services that the practice is providing, you're going to inflate what your revenues look like when you go to market. If you are undercoding or not billing properly, you could undervalue your entity going to market. And so the compliance and making sure that the billing and coding functions are being done correctly um, and to their maximum extent that is within the law is really a critical key component to all of this. And we'll take a deeper dive on that in just a second. But when you get to the fundamentals of the revenue and the billing, do you want to talk a little bit about how a practice can improve those functions before they go to market, because this preparation of going to market, as we've talked about, is so, so key. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, certainly, again, especially for our listeners who are physicians thinking of uh, a transaction and obviously a very active area, this really is uh, a critically important uh, area as you teed up there, Sydney. Um, you know, if you look at it, there's a number of ways to improve it. But before I touch on some of those methods, want to, re- again, just emphasize how important this is, uh, you know, entering into a transaction. Uh, this area is going to be highly scrutinized by a buyer and their teams to understand. And, and really the starting point uh whether the billing currently is done in-house or whether it is outsourced to a, a billing company is step one, understanding the technology that is used by the practice, you know, both on the front end at the front desk and how the practice management system works all the way through to the technology that's used uh, by the billing department or outsourced firm. You know, I know that when we look at this again, um, as we've touched on in other episodes, you're trying to convert all this data and the cash flows that a practice has had into, you know, accrual basis, generally accepted accounting principle financials so that you can get true EBITDA numbers, which is a topic we'll touch on in our next episode. But, you know, the point is that having the technology and the data to make sure you can assure that you have accurate information as a practice and information that you can efficiently access. Uh, Part of that then being able to provide the data so that when you're presenting yourself for sale, and again, same exercise will happen on the other side, you know, looking at the waterfall of the collections and and how uh, quickly and collection rates happen over time. Uh, You you need the technology to make that happen. I know that certainly I say that in many practices, again, whether it's internal billing or outsourced many times, uh, the technology is not world-class, I'll say, just because of legacy systems that have functioned for a practice 
so far, uh, but but aren't going to drive what a buyer may need going forward. So, you know, as part of that, we've had to develop tools to be able to assess this uh, and be able to present to again a, a seller uh, and work with them to to get the right information going forward. But turning back just again from an operation standpoint. Uh, the billing and revenue cycle, certainly the technology is key, but you just need proper workflows throughout the practice. Again, it starts at the front desk and check-in and making sure procedures are followed and workflows are followed to reduce denial rates and make sure, as Sydney was touching on earlier, uh, with the coding, that the coding's entered properly so that you can make sure you improve the results of billing and that of course ultimately means converting it to cash as soon as possible um you know so i think with that you know an interesting part of that then on the back end and again talking about understanding your operations that you know what is the process to follow up on the accounts receivable and is the billing department or outsource group uh, effective at doing that and effective at staying on top of that so that uh, things are converted to cash as quickly as possible. Uh, and then again, that needs a, a proper workflow to be able to assess that and, you know, directly ties in to the group's ability to identify, you know, the root cause of denials and understanding what in the operations can be done to fix that. And, um, you know, again, critically important just to assess this whole system, you know, stepping away from the numbers is, are the processes of the practice as effective as possible. And again, if you're preparing your practice for sale, you know, that efficiency and effectiveness of your, your billing cycle is just gonna lead to a higher valuation completely stepping away from the numbers and just looking at how effective it is. So uh, really important to our, our audience that stay on top of that, work with um, those that can help you improve the effectiveness of the billing cycle and, you know, do that as soon as possible before you enter market. You know, we certainly see a, a common theme that, you know, oftentimes practices are profitable uh, measuring themselves based on cash flow and that's generally a very positive result and without looking at the numbers differently as a buyer is going to look at them uh, it's not as easy to identify that you need to improve the billing and revenue cycle before going to market but it's again critically important and will increase value so yeah with that Sydney I mean what can a practice do to you know, improve its compliance function prior to market? And these go hand in hand and ultimately lead to a great result. Absolutely. Um, and as you're mentioning, Steve, what an, a buyer and investor will look at certainly is looking at that cash flow and looking at the AR and what sort of trends may have been experienced and the denials um, so there'll be that immediacy with the numbers that are in front of them and kind of the peek behind the curtain to the numbers. But there's also going to be a looking and now commonplace for any transaction is looking at doing a billing and coding audit. 
And those won't necessarily be as extensive as they should be in the ordinary operations of the practice historically prior to the transaction. But um, it will be a sliver or a slice in time looking at typically the highest um, most common codes that the practices are using or perhaps some unique codes. And in addition to that, not only will the buyer do that sampling, um, which will can potentially lead to issues that have to be addressed for purposes of the transactions, but also as part of the diligence, the buyer will be looking to what has the practice done historically to monitor its compliance, um, particularly from a billing coding perspective, although it certainly is more expansive than that. Are they conducting annual um, billing and coding audits or more frequently than that? Are they looking at the denials on a quarterly basis? Is there some sort of corrective action that the practice has taken to identify any issues that have come up during those audit time periods. Um, and so those will become critical pieces in the due diligence that the buyer will look at. It'll be broader than that as well. So not just the billing and coding, but does the practice have a compliance program that overarches the whole entire practice's operations because CMS requires compliance program for physician practices as it does hospitals and other players in the healthcare industry. And those are compliance programs that are modeled off of general requirements um, for an organization to take a look at how they are operating as it relates to the healthcare regulatory laws. So meeting those requirements, but then also making sure that it is an effective compliance program, meaning it's not just a document that's been purchased and is sitting on the computer or up on the shelf that everybody reads through and then forgets about, but are they implementing the compliance program throughout the operations of the practice historically? Meaning, uh, when new people are onboarded, is there training? Are there periodic assessments to make sure that, for example, the laundry list of contracts with potential referral sources are in order? Are they monitoring in terms of claims history and communications with the insurers, repayments, recoupments, all of those different types of tool, whether that's done internal to the practice or whether that's external. And um, watching, not, not just having the documentation and doing it, but what's the follow through on all of that. Because I think when you overall look at it, not only for efficiency and for verifying the value of the company, but you're also looking at the risk. What is the regulatory risk for the practice and for the buyer acquiring the practice? And if they're open, loose ends that are out there in the form of, for example, unsigned leases with referral sources or things like that, they have to be addressed um, and they'll be demanded to be addressed by the buyer when you're going to finalize the transaction. And I think overall, it's fair to say that while the regulatory issues and the compliance issues, to the extent that they don't skew the value of the entity, or even if they do, they're not going to tank a deal 
but they're either going to devalue the deal or require some sort of allocation of the risk of the transaction documents. And that can be through the form of an escrow, some sort of withhold, a reduction in the purchase price, um, representations and warranties and insurance to go with that and the requirement to purchase. So there are a whole number of different ways, but typically what that means is money out of the practice's pockets in the event that those items are are missing and need to be addressed. Absolutely, Sydney. I think you know that really sums up this topic very well. And uh, you know, so for our listeners, we appreciate everyone uh, attention today on this topic as we covered some of the operational and compliance matters in a practice and getting ready to go to market or how a buyer is going to look at the practice. So we appreciate your time. The episode four, we will dive a little bit deeper into some of the EBITDA and financial considerations. Uh, But again, thanks to our listeners and Sydney, thanks to you. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be first in line to hear what's coming next. Don't want to wait for our next episode? Check us out at Witham.com. That's W-I-T-H-U-M dot com.